we were dealing with the fact that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the person of our Savior as King, as the servant of Jehovah, that is, he's God's King, he's a real man, God's man in the midst of men in Luke, and he's God manifest in the flesh in John's Gospel. And then we found also that he was the trespass offering in Matthew and the sin offering in Mark. You'll notice in Matthew, the very first miracle in Matthew is the cleansing of a leper. Chapter 8, 9, and 10 are full of miracles. Jesus is proving his Messiahship. Now, what do you find in Mark? The first miracle in Mark is in chapter 1, casting out of demons and a man in a synagogue. He is a man demon-possessed, cast the demons out. These demons knew him. And in Luke's Gospel, he had the same. In Luke's Gospel, he's a man in the midst of men, and he finds men under the power and authority of hell. And in chapter 4, where you have his first miracle, cast demons out. And the first miracle in John's Gospel is the turning of water into wine. He is God manifest in the flesh. What's the first thing you expect of God to do? Why, he's the creator. Take the first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, and our conviction is that the Word of God has never changed and never will. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This introduction to the Gospel of Mark resumes with Dr. Mitchell's discussing the four Gospels, marking out each unique feature of each Gospel. Our Savior is presented in each Gospel from the perspective of the inspired author of that Gospel. Matthew writes to the Jewish believers presenting Jesus as their King and Messiah. And Mark shows Jesus as a man diligent in serving the Lord. Luke reveals our Lord as a man among men, a sinless man and Savior. And John reveals Jesus Christ as God in the flesh, the only begotten Son of the Father. The four Gospels are a unique genre in Bible literature. They present Jesus, a person, his preeminent person, rather than his complete history or biography. Let's continue our study in this introduction to the Gospel of Mark with our teacher, Dr. Mitchell. You're listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Good day, friends. Again, it is my joy and delight to be with you. And we're beginning a study of the Gospel through Mark. I think I should amplify that. In our last lesson, we were dealing with the value of the study of the Word of God. And we gave you some contrast concerning Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And allow me to repeat one or two things that I said in our last lesson. If I want to know doctrine of the church or the marvelous grace of God in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, I would, I would go to the epistles, especially the apostle Paul. Uh, Romans, as you know, gives to us the great doctrine of the gospel of the righteousness of God and so on. Ephesians gives to us the the body of Christ. 
and the, the epistles that are accompanying them amplify this. Book of Hebrews, what is Christ doing for us now in the glory? You remember four times in Hebrews he sat down at the right hand of God. But if I want to know the heart of God, the tenderness of God, the compassion and love of God for men and women, I must go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there I find the heart of God yearning over men and women that they might know his son, Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to save the lost. And again I say God still loves people. I don't care who you are, my friend. still loves you. If God were to come in his righteous judgment, where would you be? If you're out of Christ, my friend, you'd be cast into outer darkness. Outer darkness, impenetrable darkness. No, God is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Or in, I'm quoting from 2 Peter 3, 9, or in 1 Timothy chapter 2, you remember, God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But men, men in their sin, in their willfulness, turn from him. They spurn his love. They reject his saviorhood. They don't want him. They want their own way. They want to do their own thing. Then, my friend, there's nothing left but outer darkness. When a man turns his back upon God, what is there left but righteous judgment? That's why I'm appealing to you to get into the Gospels. It may be you've heard about the Savior. It may be you've been, uh, shall I say, brushed off by some Christians by what they say and by what they do. I want to tell you, my friend, you're not going to find a perfect man or a perfect woman on earth or in your society or my society. There was only one perfect man, and that's Jesus Christ. You can find fault with God's people, but you can't find fault with him. Did you hear me? You cannot find fault with him. He could say, I do always the things that please him. Everything he did was for the glory of his Father. He was never once disobedient. He never said once, I won't, to his Father. I do always the things that please him, our friend. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you find the great manifestation, the evidence of the heart of God for you, for you. And I challenge you to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see something of the character and the heart of God in his Son, Jesus Christ. For he is the image of the invisible God. I'm not asking you to understand everything you read. I'm not asking you to find flaws in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Don't read it to find flaws. Don't read it to find some doctrine you don't want to hear about. Read it to see him. Read it to see him. And I challenge you, my friend, he's a man who loves sinners, and he loved them enough to die for them, to put away the barrier of sin between man and God. Now, in our last lesson, we were dealing with the fact 
that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the person of our Savior as King, as the servant of Jehovah. That is, he's God's King. He's the servant of Jehovah. He's a real man, God's man in the midst of men in Luke. And he's God manifest in the flesh in John's Gospel. And then we find also that he was the trespass offering in Matthew and the sin offering in Mark. In Matthew, dealing with our sins, our trespasses, because of what we did. But when you come to Mark, he's the sin offering. He died for us for what we are, sin, born in sin, sinners by nature. We were dead in trespasses and sin. That's why in both these Gospels you have our Savior crying out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You will not find that in Luke or in John. When you come to Luke, he's the peace offering, making peace for sinners. This is where you have the story of the dying thief, and only Luke gives us that. In John, he's the burned offering, holy for God, manifesting his complete dedication to the will of his Father. That's why you could say in chapter 19, verse 30, it is finished. He finished everything his Father wanted him to do. Finished the work of redemption, the work of salvation, the work of reconciliation. He satisfied the character of God for you and me. And he revealed to us the very heart of God. He manifested the Father. As he could say to the disciples, he that has seen me has seen the Father. That's why I've always asked the question, what is God like? He's just like Jesus Christ, his beloved Son. Oh, that you and I might fall in love with him. Oh, that you might read these Gospels over and over and over again. And I'll tell you very frankly, you'll never get over it. You'll never be the same. What kind of a Savior do you have? Let me read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Sit down and read one of them at a, at a, at a sitting. Take the Gospel through Mark, just 16 chapters. Read it through at one sitting. Just sit down and read it. See. Now, let's follow one little bit about these four Gospels. You'll notice in Matthew, the very first miracle in Matthew is the cleansing of a leper. That is the first distinct miracle, the cleansing of a leper. It's in chapter 8. Chapter 8, 9, and 10 are full of miracles. Jesus is proving his Messiahship. Cleanse the leper. And when he got through cleansing the leper, he said, you go and show yourself to the priest. Messiah is here. He went back there, you know, and you find the story of the leper in the day of his cleansing in, in Leviticus chapter 14. Go and show yourself to the priest. The physical issue had been settled. He cleansed him from his leprosy. But go and show yourself to the priest. There's a moral issue here. Be obedient to the word of God. Messiah is here. Now, when you find in Mark, the first miracle in Mark is in chapter 1, casting out of demons. Where did he find the demons? In a man in the synagogue. Our Lord's custom was to go to the synagogue. He is a man demon-possessed. Cast the demons out. And the amazing thing is there, these demons knew him. I'll come back to that later on. Now, in Luke's gospel, he had the same. In Luke's gospel, he's a man in the midst of men, and he finds men under the power and authority of hell. And in chapter 4, where you have his first miracle, he cast demons out, same as you have in Mark's gospel, chapter 1. Now, the first miracle in John's gospel 
is the turning of water into wine. And rightly so. He is God manifest in the flesh. What you would expect God to do? What's the first thing you would expect of God to do? Why well, is the creator? Take the first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. If Jesus Christ is God's Son, then he has the authority and power of creation. John is full of this. Very first miracle, he turned water into wine. He performed a miracle, the act of a creator, turned water into wine. What's his second miracle in, my, in John's Gospel? Took five loaves, two fishes, and he fed 5,000, act of a creator. In the same chapter, he's in a storm with his disciples. He stilled the storm. The very, the very elements were subject to the Son of God. You see, this is John. That's why you've got three miracles of healing in John. Chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 9. That's all, just three. One, the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. Just seven signs as to his deity. John picks up seven distinct signs concerning the deity of our Savior. See, all are different. In Matthew, a leper, show yourself the priest Messiah's here. Mark, he's the servant of Jehovah. What do you do? He delivers men from the powers of hell. In Luke's gospel, he's a real man, God's perfect man in the midst of imperfect men. What do you do? He finds the powers of darkness having too much sway. We cast the demons out of the man. Where? In the synagogue, in the church. John, the act of a creator. Chapter 2, chapter 6, three times, manifests himself as creator. God manifest in the flesh. Now, let me go on again a little bit. You'll notice in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have the turning point in these three Gospels is when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, that's, that's found in, in Matthew chapter 16. Remarkable thing about that is, the moment Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, there's a change in the ministry of our Savior. From that time forth he began to show unto his disciples that he must suffer at the hands of men, he must be killed, and be raised again from the dead. Three times he made the announcement concerning his suffering and death. And you'll notice if you take Matthew, after chapter 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, there are only two miracles, just two miracles. In chapters 8, 9, and 10, full of miracles. After 16, the, the, the revelation of his person to his own disciples, only two miracles. Casting out of the demons of a boy when he came down on the Mount of Transfiguration in chapter 17. And then you have uh, the opening of the eyes of a man born, well, uh, the opening of a man who was blind, blind Bartimaeus, as he came out of Jericho on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. Now when you come to Mark, it's the same thing. From the very first chapter through chapter into chapter 8, you find where our Savior did miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Just follow miracles. Very little teaching in Mark. Very little. 
but miracle after miracle after miracle. He's the servant of Jehovah, meeting the needs of his people. But when you come to chapter 8, Peter says, Thou art the Christ of God. There's a change. And this book where you have the servant of Jehovah, as many as touched him were made whole. Now you find after chapter 8, the confession of Peter, just two miracles. Same as you have in Matthew. Uh, came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and cast the demons out of a boy. And the healing of blind Bartimaeus out of Jericho. That amazing. When you come to Luke's gospel, same thing. Luke's gospel, right through to chapter 9. And when you come to chapter 9, Peter's confession, thou art the Christ of God. There's a change. Now it's true in Luke's gospel, there are more than two miracles after chapter 9, but it's spread out. You have a difference, a change. In other words, the three gospels change on the revelation of his person to his disciples. There is no revelation of his person except to his disciples. In Matthew 16, Mark chapter 8, Luke chapter 9. When you come to John's gospel, entirely different. In John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, he brings the door wide open to Gentiles, for then he gives the right, the authority, to become the children of God. So on. See, John's entirely different book. So that's the turning point. The turning point in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I repeat it in chapter 16 of Matthew, chapter 8 of Mark, chapter 9 of Luke. Mark something else. I want to ask you the question, in what Gospels do you have Jesus Christ leaving the earth and going to heaven? Uh, I wish I could hear your answers. Some would say, Mark, Matthew. No, no ascension in Matthew. Why not? There's no room for a king in heaven. You have the king in Matthew telling his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he went with them. The Lord went with them. See? No ascension. What about Mark? Yes, in Mark he went to heaven. He talked about how he would be with his disciples. Signs following. And then Mark went to heaven. Why? When a servant finishes his work, he goes home. And here you have in Mark the servant of Jehovah having finished his work. He dedicated his life in the very first chapter to the will of his father. He completes the work at the cross and in resurrection. Only one thing left, to go home. Work finished, he went home. What about Luke? Yes, you find it in Luke, chapter 24. After he gave his final instructions to his disciples, that they were witnesses of him, that they would tarry at Jerusalem until they received uh, the promise of the Father, received power from on high, to witness he was caught up to heaven. And rightly so, because the whole rest of your New Testament deals with the fact there's a man, a real man in heaven. By the way, aren't you glad for that? Aren't you Christians glad for that? There's a real man in heaven? Why, man was made for the earth. 
and the Lord ruleth in the heavens. What is this, a man coming into heaven? Yes, yes. A man who was touched with the feeling of your infirmities and my infirmities. And the whole book of Hebrews is given over to this. He went back to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high in the heavens. He's been given, as Colossians 1 says, he's been given the place of preeminence. See? Aren't you glad for that? You see, this is what causes me to uh, remember the 24th Psalm, where we read, Open up ye everlasting doors, and let the King of glory come in. Who is this King of glory? Who is this King of glory? Is the heavens asking who Jesus is? It's something new. That's a man coming to the right hand of the majesty on high in the heavens and sat down in the place of authority, having been given the preeminent place. Open up ye everlasting doors. Let the King of glory come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. I'm so glad that when I read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, He's able to succor. He's able to succor those that are tested. That's why in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Let us come with boldness, with confidence to the throne of grace, and there obtain mercy and find grace to help in every time of need. Isn't it a wonderful thing that the Savior is on the throne today, understands exactly what you and I go through? You mean to tell me, sir, he knows what I'm going through? He certainly does. Do you remember one day, and I'm quoting from John chapter 11, do you remember one day Lazarus had died, and four days afterwards Jesus came, and they told Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw Mary weeping and Martha weeping and the women weeping, what did Jesus do? Did he say, dry those tears, I'm going to raise your brother from the dead. No. He took the time out. The son of the eternal God took the time out. Stand by Mary and Martha and weep with them. Ah, friend, he's touched with a feeling of your infirmities. Your infirmities. My infirmities. He knows exactly what you go through. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, but Mr. Mitchell, nobody understands me. Oh, yes. There is one who understands you, and that's Jesus, the Son of God. He was a real man. And he was exactly what you're going through, and he's praying for you, and he's representing you. He's your anchor. He's your hope. He's your forerunner. He's all that you need. Now, I ask the question on John, on John's gospel. Ascension in John? Of course not. He's the eternal God. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent, as well as omnipotent. How does John start? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He's the eternal one. That's all through John. He's the eternal Son of God. And friend, may I say this to you today? That same one was on the throne. I come back to Luke again. And to finish with this today, I want you to know that your Savior, if you put your trust in Him, He is the one who can meet your personal need right where you are. 
My need, your need. The trouble is, you know, we scheme too much. We're schemers instead of trusting him. So I would just suggest, as you walk today with all your tests, trials, misunderstandings, weaknesses, frailty, remember, Jesus Christ is with you. He's representing you, and he's touched with the feeling of your infirmities, and he says to you, you come with boldness to the throne of grace, and there obtain mercy, find grace to help in every time of need. Why don't you run to him, Christian friend, run to him. He'll meet your personal need now. And the Lord bless you today for his precious name's sake. Don't be almost, put him foremost, for he loves you, my friend. He died and rose that reminds me. trust that your hearts have been blessed and encouraged through the study of God's Word. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.